Innal hamdalillah nahmaduhu wa nasta'inu bihi wa nasta'hdih wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa sayyiati a'malina Innahu man yahdihillahu fala mudilla lahu wa man yudlil fala hadiya lahu wa nashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa nashhadu anna sayyidana wa habibana wa sirajana almunir Muhammadur Rasulullah أرسله الله بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا بين يدي الساعة من يطع الله ورسوله فقد رشد ومن يعصهما فإنه لا يضر إلا نفسه ولا يضر الله شيئا اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد أما بعد respected brothers Sisters, elders, ulama, a'imma. First of all, I would like to extend my gratitude and thanks to Faith and Inspire and the London Muslim Centre, Islam Mosque, for inviting me to this event and to for providing me the opportunity to address you today, this evening. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. To be frank and honest, uh, this is obviously one of the first events in the London Muslim Centre in a long time, especially as a speaker. And knowing that Sheikh Hassan Ali, who is my personal direct teacher who's taught me in Ibrahim College before is coming is a bit nerve-wracking to say the least but nonetheless inshallah our topic today is the concept or the idea of how we as Muslims and as human beings are tested throughout our lives not to damage us rather to rather to create us rather to make us make us stronger and in English we say whatever doesn't break you only makes you stronger Generally, the concept of ibtila, of musibah, of fitan, is repeatedly mentioned in the Holy Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about uh, ibtila and fitan and masaib in different chapters of the Holy Quran. He says, for example, in one of the ayat, It's the question, do people think that they're going to say we've believed and that's it? That's the end of it. It's a hunky-dory walk to Jannah. Of course, and surely they will be tested. In other ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ fitna. Surely your children and your lives and your whole life generally is but a test. Fitna is the word used here. And inshallah, we'll look at some of these words in a bit more detail in a moment. بإذن الله تبارك وتعالى. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَنفُسِ وَالثَّمَرَاتِ وَبَشِّرُ الصَّابِرِينَ الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتْهُمْ مُصِيبَةٌ قَالُوا قَالُوا إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ That we will surely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about himself, we will surely and definitely test you. وَلَنَبْلُوَنَّكُمْ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنَ الْخَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ With somewhat, with some jur, khawf, some, some fear and some hunger, some lack of provisions. خَوْفِ وَالْجُوعِ وَنَقْصٍ مِّنَ الْأَمْوَالِ And a lack of and a decrease in your wealth, والثمرات, and in your fruits and vegetation. وَبَشِّرِ الصَّابِرِينَ And give glad tidings to the sabirin, the patient ones. الَّذِينَ إِذَا أَصَابَتُمْ مُصِيبَةً Those when afflicted by an affliction, a musiba, they say, إِنَّا لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ That we are for Allah and to Him we shall return. And all of this has huge meaning inside each ayah. But inshallah, we'll come to that in a moment. بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَبَارَكُ First of all, the journey of life is one of challenges and difficulties from the moment 
you are conceived in your mother's womb until the day that you eventually leave this world. As we are created in our mother's wombs, we know that only one cell gets to become the baby that you became later on out of the millions that were available there in that same area, but only one had the chance to become a janin, a nutfa, a alaqa, and so on and so forth until you became a human. And this in and of itself is an example of the challenge of being a human, a challenge of being in this world. And so as you were born or you were progressing in your mother's stomach, in her womb, stage by stage, every single stage was one of carefulness and fear that something may go wrong and something might happen strange and so medications and other sorts of support were given. We had tablets to make sure everything was going in the right order, scans continuously in whichever hospital that you may go to and to make sure that everything that this critical stage is going successfully and this challenge is being overcome and then eventually came the moment that you are actually born. And that in and of itself is a difficult time and that was a challenge not just for yourself but for your mother too and for the whole family and everyone that was around you. And then you were born as a young person, a child and you grow up and challenges after challenges of how to learn to walk, to learn to talk, to learn to run, to learn to read, to learn to memorize the Quran, to learn to pray, to learn to become a Muslim. And the learning doesn't actually end until you finally reach your final destination which is back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the Prophet ﷺ was very truthful when he said that we should seek knowledge from our birth to our last moments until we meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In summary, challenges and difficulties are very, very much present in your lives. And they should be, and they have to be. Life is not supposed to be Jannah. Life is not supposed to be a walk in the park all the time. Life is supposed to have challenges so that you can prepare yourself to become purified and ready to be recipients of that Jannah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prepared for you. This Jannah that we all want to go to comes at a price. And that price is paid through rigorous levels of difficulties and hard work and relentless efforts to make sure that your fara'id and your wajibat are continuously done or to make sure that they are done properly. A person is afflicted in their life in different ways, in many, many different ways, just like the Prophet ﷺ was. We are afflicted in physical form sometimes. Sometimes we're physically damaged. Sometimes we're physically ill. We break a leg, we break an arm. It's quite common. People break their legs while they're playing, fo playing football. Sometimes we're afflicted through emotions. We're saddened by the loss of a family member. We're sad because of something that we've lost in our lives, a piece of jewelry, a someone, a something that we hold precious to our lives. Sometimes, sometimes we're afflicted and tested with the loss of a physical possession, maybe not emotionally, but a physical possession. And so the affliction carries on in different ways, just like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that the ibtila will be with khawf, with fear. So fear represents the external security, the fact that you will yourself not feel safe from outside. So the ibtila, this test here is external to your body. Well, jur, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about jur, which is hunger, something most innermost inside your body. So your tests are not just outside of you, but deep inside you too. min al amwal, and then the test goes on to your provisions and your bank account, and your work, and your job, and your occupation. And that's also afflicted. So from outside, everything outside you can change and you can feel fear. And everything inside you can change and you can feel hunger. 
and your money and your provision can change and your job can change and you can feel poverty and your nature around you, you can have floods and natural disasters which decrease your vegetation and thamarat. So these kind of tests are all around and the tests are coming continuously like we said just a moment ago. But the problem is and the question is, why? Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want to test you? Why does he want to make you go through difficulties? Because we believe that nothing in this world happens except by the will and wanting and want of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want to test you and put you into difficulties? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِي النَّاسِ لِيُذِيقَهُمْ بَعْضَ الَّذِي عَمِلُوا لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ in another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, in another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that, وَلَقَدْ أَخَذْنَا آلَ فِرْعَوْنَ بِالسِّنِينَ وَنَقْصٍ مِّنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَذَّكَّرُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often makes difficulties come around you. He's saying in the first ayah that, ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ That fasad and corruption has, be, has become apparent and overcoming on bar and bahar, on land and on sea. We can understand that to be global warming, pollution, whatever you want to translate it as or mean, see the meaning in it, generally fasad will be there. Fasad has come about. By what the hands of a person has done itself or what the hands of men have done. And if we speak, for example, in the context of global warming, we can say that maybe we have too much carbon footprint and therefore global warming is happening and fasad fil barri wal bahar is as a result of that. But generally, even if it's not something in nature, something in your life, something in your personality, it's often to, to do with your own deed, with your own earning. Often we bring afflictions upon ourselves by our own deeds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, بِمَا كَسَبَتْ nas. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow for this dhuhur of fasad to happen? Why did he allow for the appearance or for these corruptions to become apparent in this world? He says, So that they can taste some of what they have done. So that they can taste some of what they have done. And then the last part of the ayah is, The word expresses desire or want or a hope. Allah is saying that the entire reason behind him testing us and putting us through difficulties is in hope. And perhaps we may return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll explore that idea, inshallah, in a moment. In another ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that the people of Fir'aun were afflicted or taken by bisinin that they were afflicted in many different ways so that they may remember. In the first ayah that we recited, so that they can go back. And in the second ayah of Fir'aun, we are talking about, in which Fir'aun is mentioned, Allah is saying, so that they can remember. In a nutshell, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is trying to tell us that we are not afflicted by anything except to make us go back to our origin or to our creator or to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in humbleness, in seeking his favor, in seeking his Help and mercy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in many, many other ayat the concept of why he has tested you. In a hadith, the Prophet says that ma yusibul mu'minu min nasabin wala wasabin 
and the hadith continues that there is no harm that afflicts a Muslim, a believer, a person that except these harms and difficulties are an excuse of expiation, are a reason by which his sins are forgiven. So first of all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests you so that you can remember. He puts you through the difficulty that you might be in, the difficulty that you might be in, Regardless of whether it is a psychological problem, a physical, financial, a social problem, a marital problem, these problems, according to this ayat, come about so that we ourselves can go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he wanted that you have Islam as your religion, or when he wanted that you receive the message of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he didn't just give you that message and leave you alone to yourself to just become good mu'mineen and just go to Jannah or find your own way there. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to assist you in that path of going to Jannah. And that assistance comes in many different ways. So for example, our salawat are a reminder of our oath with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our siyam are also a reminder that we believe in Allah. We believe that Allah witnesses and sees everything in openness and in hiding. And so these ibadat are only there to assist you to go to Jannah. Now, often a person, despite him doing certain ibadat, he might still be led astray. Often a person might not pray at all. Often a Muslim might claim to be a Muslim, might say, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, but might not have any sort of good deeds in his account after that shahada itself. So he might not pray, he might not give uh, zakah, and he may, he may have a, low, a, a huge number of sins, a large amount of sins on his account. Now for that person to be smacked back into track, to be taught a lesson when your children or when students go wrong and when they make a mistake or when they do something quite unacceptable, the teacher or the parent often give them some sort of a punishment, a test, a detention, a, some sort of a grounding to make sure that they go back on track. So it is as though these masaib and these fitan and these ibtilaat, they are all there to make you go back to your Lord and say, Oh Allah, I belong to you and so forgive me and so that I can be ready to go to your jannah. What I'm trying to say is that these difficulties that may seem to be forms of adab sometimes, you might think that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala trying to destroy me? Is he punishing me? Does he hate me? Are often a sign that Allah actually loves you. And so we hear so many times that the anbiya and rusul and the salihun were in fact the most severely tested. The rusul were the most severely tested people on earth. And the salihun, and the a'imma, and the mujtahidun, and the sahaba, and tabi'un that came before us were, were very, very severely tested. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, despite being khatamun nabiyyin, the seal of prophethood, the leader of all of the prophets without doubt, the one that led all of the rusul and anbiya in, in his mi'raj, that night of Isra and mi'raj in Bayt al-Maqdis, when he led them in salah to prove and to announce his leadership over all of the prophets. This prophet who was so beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions him repeatedly and decides that he should be the final one to convey the message that lasts until the day of judgment. Even this special person to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was severely tested 
was tested in every single way we can imagine. He was physically harmed. He was psychologically tortured. His, he was defamed. His fame was damaged. They called him Sahir. They called him a soothsayer. They called him all sorts of names. So he was physically attacked. So the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was afflicted with khawf is very obvious. He wasn't feeling safe in Mecca at all for a long time. He was hungry for many, many days. He was thirsty in many occasions. His companions were disrespected, disreputed, and treated like very lowly people for a long time. And so even though the Prophet ﷺ is the most beloved of people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we find that even he is going through some of the harshest tests and examinations. We find Ayyub wasalam. Ayyub's story is very, very famous, that after being afflicted with illnesses for many, many years, Ayyub calls out to his Lord, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَى And Ayyub, when he called out to his Lord, and when I'm afflicted with a bit of difficulty, my, I failed my exam, I made so much dua, and yet I failed my exam. I made so much dua, I gave sadaqat, yet I failed my driving test. I had a car accident even though I read my dua. I get so upset. I get angry with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I say, Oh Allah, what's going on? Why are you doing this to me for? But Ayyub calls out to his Lord, Ali salatu wasalam. Ayyub calls out and he says, وَأَيُّوبَ إِذْ نَادَى رَبَّهُ أَنِّي مَسَّنِي الضُّرُّ Oh Allah, some affliction has afflicted me. Some harm has come upon me. And the next part isn't, Oh Allah, why did you do this to me? He said, وَأَنْتَ أَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ And you are the most kind of all of the merciful ones. Prophet ﷺ, after losing hope in the Meccans, after trying to invite people to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for seven years, in every possible strategy that we can imagine, speaking to them calmly, speaking to them in openness, inviting to them in nice ways, in respect, in honor, in softness, in announcements, in around the Kaaba, in individual homes, in the gatherings, in the meetings, in their parliaments. He tries and he tries and he tries for seven years, he tries. On the seventh year they decide, do you know what? Muhammad is not gonna stop. So we need to do something quite serious now. Muhammad's not going to stop at all. And his uncle's not gonna let him go. Abdul Muttalib is not letting him go. He's not going to give him over to us to be punished or tortured. So what we will do now, entire Banu Abdul Muttalib, the whole tribe of Abdul Muttalib will now be made to leave Mecca. They will be made, they, they will be expelled from Mecca. And they will be in exile outside of Mecca with no provisions of water, no provisions of food, no trading to be done with them, and these were legal facts that they established amongst the Meccans and those who lived in Mecca at that time. So after seven years of continuous da'wah, the Prophet ﷺ isn't given an opening of room, for example, or the fact that he's got angels walking on earth giving help, giving him help. After seven years of struggling, he is afflicted with a bigger problem. They are now exiled outside of Mecca. Children can be heard to be screaming out of hunger and thirst, on, in the valleys outside of Mecca, from within Mecca. Three years they live in hunger and thirst, this exile period. Many Muslims die. Situation is very, very severe. And these kind of moments remind us of what's happening in Rohingya with the Rohingya Muslims in Burma now. That they are left for dead. They can be heard to be screaming, but no one is giving them water or isn't even allowed to trade with them. 
Nonetheless, these years go with difficulty and patience and so much dua. And eventually, that exile period finishes. And we think, Alhamdulillah, 10 years of prophethood. Prophet ﷺ has been doing so many good deeds and the Muslimin have been dedicated to him. Maybe the help is now going to come and we are going to conquer the world. In the 10th year of prophethood, the Prophet ﷺ, when he leaves that exile, or that exile is lifted, this Aam is known as Aamul Huzn, the year of sadness. He just about escapes the exile. They just come back into Mecca. Within a matter of months and days, Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet wasallam, who protected him from anyone that even looked at him in a negative way, passes away. They have just come out of an exile. Abdul Muttalib now passes away. Prophet wasallam is now completely exposed. The protection that he had from Abdul Muttalib is now gone. Near to that time, very close to that time, Khadija radiyallahu anha, Prophet's wife, first wife, and the wife that he used to remember continuously, even in later days when he was married to other women, other Ummahatul Mu'mineen, Khadija also passes away. When the Prophet goes through all of these tribulations and problems and feels insecure in Mecca, he tries now. Maybe that if I go to Ta'if, a neighboring city, Maybe these people will accept my message and accept my Islam. And so he goes to Ta'if. And the Ta'if people, the Prophet ﷺ was hopeful in them. He thought, I have distant relatives amongst the Ta'if people. Maybe they will welcome me. Not only do they not accept the message of Islam, they expel him once more. And he tries for 10 days and they throw stones at him and they throw insults at him. And the Prophet wasallam, after being tested for 10 years, after the loss of an uncle, of a wife, after the loss of hope in the entirety of Mecca, after losing hope in Ta'if, after being physically, emotionally, psychologically afflicted, harmed and oppressed, tortured, he is now expelled from Ta'if once again. And as he is leaving Ta'if, as he is leaving Ta'if, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam at that moment of extreme sadness and difficulty and heartbrokenness he calls out to his lord and only if you read the seerah of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam will you be able to guess what he said in that dua because we can't imagine from our normal human minds that i would say those same things in a dua at a particular moment like that at, after 10 years of struggle and all of these tortures that we've spoken about Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam raises his hands to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he says, Ya Arhamar Rahimin, O oh, the most merciful of mercy, merciful ones. O oh, the one that's the most merciful out of all of the merciful ones that we can imagine. He begs Allah and he calls out to him and the dua is quite long but in summary he says to him that O oh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, I ask of you to forgive me for my shortcomings in conveying your message. Prophet ﷺ, after doing every single possible thing you can do to convey that message, after being stoned, oppressed, tortured, he is leaving Ta'if and crying and flowing blood. He calls out to Allah and he calls out to him and he says, I am sorry, O Allah, for not conveying your message properly. اللهم إني أشكو إليك ضعف قوتي وهواني على الناس 
that I complain to you the fact that I am so weak and so irrespectful or disrespectful or the fact that I am of no significance to people. I am sorry for that. Ya Arhamar Rahimin, and he says to him, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as you have your rahma on me, nothing matters. Nothing matters what happens as long as you are happy with me. And after this dua, the skies open up. Jibreel, Amin alayhi salatu wasalam, comes down with the two angels that were in charge of the mountains on either side of Ta'if. And Jibreel says, I have brought with me the angels in charge of Ta'if. If you wish, O Muhammad, the people of Ta'if are forever to be crushed into dust and never to come back again, to be destroyed forever. What do you say, O Muhammad? What's your idea? What's your suggestion? You have the strongest army you could possibly ask for right now. The angels that are in charge of the two mountains who can literally squash them to dust. What do you say, O Muhammad? He, Prophet Muhammad says, leave them for perhaps from their children may come Muslimin. And today Ta'if is full of Muslims. Prophet was tested. Anbiya were tested. Ibrahim was tested. Ibrahim achieved the status of khilla and the status of friendship, the status of being the loved one of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not by sending any letters or by any other reason except for the fact that he was continuously sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so towards the end of Surah Al-Hajj, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about story of Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam, the last ayah is وَجَاهِدُوا فِي اللَّهِ حَقَّ جِهَادِ That strive in the path of your Lord, a proper striving. I hope you can understand that the struggles that we face in our lives are not always something bad. Because if prophets are afflicted by tribulations, that can only mean that it can't always be a bad thing. Generally, the rule of thumb and the principle is, as something you can remember, inshallah, wa ta'ala, if you are afflicted by a problem in your life, you need to first do a checklist. If you are doing something wrong, you need to first of all stop these wrong things because often the ibtila or the test is to make you turn away from the bad deeds and to come towards the good deeds. So the first thing is whenever I am tested, I need to make sure I check that I am not doing anything haram, anything bad, anything problematic, anything doubtful. And this is for any problem that you may be afflicted with in your entire life, be it social, psychological, marital, educational. You check yourself, am I doing something wrong? After doing that, if you find that you're not actually doing something severely wrong, obviously, كل بني آدم خطا, every son of Adam is sinful and makes mistakes. But we can see that I'm praying my salawat, and I'm giving my zakah, and I'm being dutiful towards my parents, and fully carrying out my requirements and my responsibilities towards my wife and my husband and my children and so on and so forth. And I'm carrying out the responsibilities that I have upon me for my community. The next thing you do is if you can't find something major to correct, you are extremely, extremely... You are extremely, extremely... What was I saying? After you've checked yourself and found that you're not doing something bad, the next thing to do is sabr. Patience, because sometimes, even though you may be in a good status, a good state of Iman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests you. And the word fitna, according to Al-Azhari, Ibn Faris, and according to uh, Al-Ibn Al-Athir, and so many Nahuyun and people of grammar, 
It all comes from the meaning of when gold is heated at a very high temperature to bring out the purest form of the gold. So the word fitna in and of itself means that Allah is going to put you in heat. Heat in the sort of, you know, the London senses as well. I'm going through a lot of heat right now. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make you go through a lot of problems so that we can go to a higher stage of iman. You might be someone that prays your salah. You might be okay, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to take you closer to him. He wants you to call him even more. He wants your forehead to be in sujood for longer. He wants you to become from someone that prays his salawat al-khams to someone that also prays his tahajjud. He wants you to become someone who just gives their zakah from that stage to become, that, become someone that gives charity to it all the time, all year round. So the checklist is, am I doing something wrong? If not, then I need to be patient. That seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's help by patience and salah. Salah means dua. Salah means prayer as well. Salah, generally the essence of salah, the salah we pray is dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and finally, this is the last point, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala. In the ayah of the Quran, he says, We make dua, and sometimes it's not answered, and we get very upset. But our dua, of what quality is it? When I'm making my dua, is it like, oh Allah, um, yeah, I want to hire a car, so yeah, oh Allah, please, um, can I have uh, A stars, and um, please make sure I get that job. Is it that kind of dua? Or is it, oh Allah, I have no hope but you. Oh Allah, if you don't help me, I have no one. You need to help me. Oh Allah, I want you to help me. I need your special help. I have no one to go to except for you. you I have no door except yours. You, oh Allah, I will stay in prostration until you help me. That kind of serious calling is the kind of calling that we need. A hadith, finally, in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa says that مَثَلُ الْمُؤْمِنِ كَمَثَلِ الْخَامَةِ مِنَ الزَّرْعَ And the hadith continues, the meaning of which is a mu'min is like that plant which when winds afflict it or come upon it, it moves. It's affected by it. Meaning, when winds come, this plant is changed. It changes its direction. It has an effect on the plant itself. That's the example of a mu'min. As for the munafiq or the kafir, he's like that plant that when winds come, he doesn't move. He stays firm until Allah eventually plucks him out. What that means is, often when we are afflicted by different problems, some of us, what we do is we think, I'm going to be strong and I'm not going to do anything about it. We try to pretend like nothing's going to happen to me. I have got my children in hospital, for example, or I have something serious happening in my life, but I'm going to be strong and it's going to be all right. I'll be fine. You try to show your strength, but you don't prostrate to Allah. Your strength has to be by prostrating to Allah and physically being strong at the same time, emotionally being strong. But we think, I'm going to be okay, I'm not going to change. This problem has come, I'm still going to carry on not praying. It's not going to change me in any way. If you are like that kind of a person, and that's the, uh, Prophet is saying the mu'min, the believer, he changes. When a problem happens, he readdresses himself. He checks himself. He changes his direction. That's the mu'min. He takes lessons from his problems. As for the non-Muslim or the person who has no faith in Allah, the one that who has no belief in Allah, 
He thinks it's going to be okay. I don't need to prostrate to Allah. It's going to be fine. It's just a small problem. It's going to go away. And he does not actually use that opportunity to call to Allah. Eventually, a problem will come that will definitely shake you. Point being is, Every single thing in creation has to prostrate to the Lord. Every single thing in creation has to prostrate to the Lord. Whether you prostrate out of your own will in this world is up to you. If you do not, and if problems do not change you, and if afflictions do not change your direction, then know that one day something will happen where you will have to prostrate to your Lord. You either take lessons, you take heed, or Allah makes you buy down by force. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to be of those who take lessons from our problems. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who are steadfast and strong during our problems. Say, Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to learn from our mistakes. Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us an ummah of oneness and brotherhood and love and respect and kindness. Ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to learn but also to practice. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyina Muhammad. وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته